and welcome to Dialogue. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is currently on a three-day visit to the U.S. The landmark visit is seen as the latest step towards advancing high-level communication between the two countries, following a series of exchanges by senior officials. So what are the main topics of discussion between the two sides? Can we still find ways to break through the Chile bilateral relations? And will the two countries be able to cooperate to stabilize the relations between them as well as in other parts of the world? To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined today by Professor Jia Daojun from Peking University, Dr. Zhao Hai, Research Fellow at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, and Klaus Laris, the Richard M. Krasno Distinguished Professor at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. That's our topic. I'm Xu Jindu. Welcome to Dialogue. Uh, Professor Jia, I will start with you. So Wang Yi is in the United States. Uh, this is happening after a series of exchanges. Uh, we see you know, China visit by the US Secretary of State, Anthony, Anthony Blinken, and of course, uh, Secretary of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, Treasury, of Secretary of Commerce, etc. So uh, w right now, there's a Chinese, senior Chinese official in Washington uh, where are we now? You know, what's the purpose of this visit? Well, <clears throat> to be frank and honest, the uh, issues between the two countries are so multifaceted, and uh, the difficulty of changing the overall narrative in both political capitals are so challenging that uh, I'm not trying to be uh, just skeptical for the sake of for the sake of it. I would think uh, uh, even if you have uh, crisscrossing visits of uh, this caliber um, day in and day out, we still need more meetings. But uh, that's not to be sarcastic. I would think, uh, like you said, months after uh, the visits by cabinet-level Americans to China, and it's a good sign that uh, Mr. Wang is reciprocating the visit at this point of time. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Zhao Hai, uh, so we do see, you know, um, visits, frequent visits actually, um, lately, including the latest one, you know, to China by the U.S. Uh, California Governor uh, Newsom. Uh, he has been to several Chinese cities and they are uh, you know, well received by the Chinese side, including meetings with uh, Vice President, you know, uh, Foreign Minister, and also uh, President Xi Jinping. Uh, so, you know, how do you characterize the current status of China-U.S. relations? Well, currently, I think uh, China-U.S. relations is moving towards stabilization. So uh, in the past uh, year, uh, we've experienced difficulties and the relationship is really uh, frozen, and now it's uh, starting to thaw and uh, gradually moving towards a more positive uh, side. However, at this stage, I mean, how to stabilize relationship and especially how to move forward with a more uh, positive agenda, that, that is the question um, uh, during uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi's visit to the United States. And uh, in the future, I think the key is that after last year's Bali meeting, uh, there is a, a path moving forward decided by the two top leaders. Uh, however, I think both sides are not uh, uh, stopping at that. They need uh, 
further guidance on the principles of how to deal with each other. Uh, and uh, like Pres uh, Professor Jia pointed out, uh, we need to change the environment, the narrative, and so that they can have a more overlapping, let's say more common ground uh, to form a uh, agenda, a positive agenda to uh, you know move this relation even further. And by local, uh, you know, uh, Governor Newsom's visit, that means on the local level, two sides also needs to reestablish ties with each other because of the pandemic that's been cut off. And now uh, with the visits and particularly with a warm welcome from the Chinese side, China has shown that uh, we're active uh, in terms of developing local ties with the United States. And it also shows that uh, Governor Newsom has the uh, political courage to uh, come to China despite what's happening within the uh, DC circle and also shows that on the local level, there are many other states that I've heard of uh, are uh, trying to uh, come to China and develop more trade uh, and uh, you know people-to-people -people relations. Uh, and uh, I think uh, previously, before the pandemic and before the relationship worsened, there are many, many uh, ties between the two countries that support uh, this engagement between the two countries. Now we want that to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Laris, you know, in, from the U.S point of view, uh, how do you see uh, the recent, um, you know, let's say positive development, uh, you know, of, of exchanges, at least the two sides are uh, resuming uh, the dialogues, uh, not all of them, but they are talking to each other and increasingly uh, more frequently. Uh, how do you see that kind of development? Yeah, the, uh, relations between the United States and China are still difficult, but they're moving in the right direction. And it's important that dialogue and communication is opened up again. And this is, has been the problem in the recent past, that both sides were not talking to each other in fields such as trade restrictions, such as um, technology exchange, uh, export controls, but also regarding geopolitical issues. There are serious crises in the world. We only have to think of that terrible war in Ukraine. Now, what is unfolding in Israel, also a terrible uh, humanitarian disaster potentially. All this needs to be talked about and I think uh, opening up communication again between the two most important countries in the world is highly important. So it is moving in the right uh, direction but now the substantive decisions have to be taken and Wang Yi's visit will contribute to that. He will prepare also hopefully uh, uh, the meeting between Biden and uh, Xi Jinping in San Francisco in November, which will hopefully happen. And after that, uh, both sides will take some tough decisions. And no side will be entirely pleased with the outcome. They have to compromise. And uh, to, to open dialogue and communication is, of course, the first step to arrive at a good compromise both sides can live with and the world can live with. Mm -hmm. Professor Laris, you mentioned about tough decisions to be made probably uh, you know, for both capitals. Uh, what do you refer to? Well, for example, the geopolitical situation in Gaza and Israel. Um, here we uh, would like to see, from an American point of view, we would like to see China's involvement rather than a kind of pro-Palestinian neutral position which China seems to have uh, adopted in the last few uh, days and weeks. We would like to see uh, Chinese influence in Iran to prevent Iran from becoming involved directly or encouraging Hezbollah in the north of Israel. Uh, the 
northern border of Israel to become involved. And I think that would be a huge progress if some sort of agreement could be uh, arrived at between the US and China to uh, how to overcome that terrible crisis in Israel and Gaza. Mm -hmm. Uh, Professor Jai, you know, if you look at uh, some of the U.S. expectations, of course, you know, Washington would like to see China side with uh, the Europeans, the U.S., uh, you know, in terms of a Ukraine issue, in terms of the Israel-Hamas uh, conflicts, for example. Um, but that's really, you know, something uh, beyond the bilateral, direct bilateral relationship. You know, for the Chinese side, what are the top priorities? So, you know, what? Do, does China see as the key issues blocking the progress of the relationship here? Well, uh, there are lots of uh, issues. Uh, but I would think when you mention Ukraine or you mention the uh, Israel-Hamas conflict, uh, it does seem to me China uh, voices or the mainstream voices out of China and those out of Europe and North America. Mind you, there are competing voices in those societies as well. Uh, uh, if we simplify that to, let's say, the loudest voice or most representative voice, it does seem to me there is a huge difference. Because in, as a matter of principle, I don't think there is a, that difference that is the violence or uh, armed, uh, violence, unjustified violence needs to be uh, stopped and cannot be condoned. But then the difference comes from what is justifiable, what's not justifiable. And from a Chinese perspective, I would think, uh, I, I think this is not just myself, it represents a longer, a larger segment of the society, uh, perspective that's shaped by historical experiences. I'm not talking about the, you know, ancient, ancient history. I'm talking about the history of the two direct parties being involved. So since China is not directly involved, let's say, uh, in either of those situations, we don't quite see how and why, um, let's say, you know, you have criticism from um, some European quarters, American quarters, and say that China is not doing enough. After all, it takes two parties to come to a fight. It also takes the same parties to end a fight. And the, you know, it, again, I would think uh, there are some serious blockage points in uh, the conversations. So conversations are important. But unless until um, you give each side gives legitimacy, recognize legitimacy of where the other side comes from, it will be uh, remain uh, to be uh, a should I say a, a mental block of sorts. So what I, what I think should do, uh, China should do more is to continue to emphasize for Chinese representatives of government diplomacy and to emphasize that uh, violence is bad and violence anywhere in the world is not to be condoned and then on that basis uh, we call for uh, you know if, if secession of uh, uh, conflict right away is difficult we call for reduction of ten tension and uh, 
move in, in that way to support. But that core, say for ceasefire, for what other uh, uh, means of reduction, needs to have a buy-in, meaning the two direct parties needs to both agree to doing that. And we don't really see here in China, for instance, fine, you define one party as, um, you know, its action being justifiable, and then on that basis, you provide the party with military assistance. We think, well, my goodness, that's sort of like adding, uh, well, it's not sort of, it is, uh, you know, really adding fuel to the fire. Uh, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. But then, other than that, well, we don't know what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, Beijing and Washington, they don't agree with each other over Ukraine issue, over the, uh, say, Gaza-Israel conflict here. But at least they can work with each other probably to contain uh, that kind of, uh, for example, to contain the spillover effects of uh, that kind of conflict. But when it comes to this bilateral relationship, you know, China-U.S., you know, people would say, oh, it, it worsened since 2018 when the U.S., uh, and Trump administration imposed, the, for example, trade war uh, on China, and then we see tech war, uh, information war, you know, whatever you say. Uh, there are all kinds of, uh, you know, almost like a containment efforts, you know, uh, over, the, over the Chinese development. Uh, so is that a big issue for China, probably to reach the U.S.? You know, we are not uh, competing with the U.S. in a, in a zero-sum uh, manner. I think you're right, because let's set the priority, bilateral relationship priority right, because the, on the top of the agenda is China's national security and homeland security, because right now, uh, the top agenda between the two sides, and particularly China, China's position towards the U.S., is that uh, on our, our doorsteps, uh, for example, the cross Taiwan Strait, South China Sea and East China Sea, and also uh, on the uh, Korean Peninsula, uh, there are many, many flashpoints that could uh, escalate into some kind of confrontation and even conflict. So the top priority for both countries is to manage those differences and, uh, you know, reduce the tension and try to make sure that East Asia, you know, West Pacific is peace and does not follow the suit of the conflict in Europe and Middle East. So that's number one. And other than that, as you mentioned, China has complained about the tariff and actually President Trump uh, campaign, uh, President Biden campaigned to, to actually cancel President Trump's tariff. However, he didn't uh, accomplish that. And also on the tech war, even though the U.S. is advocating the so-called uh, small yard high fence, however, until today, uh, the U.S. has not uh, provided a clear boundary or ex explanation where the fence is and also what does uh, de-risk means for the bilateral relationship. So there are many issues on the table uh, bilaterally we need to talk about. And on the international security, of course, China and the United States can work together, try to bring peace. Uh, and China is following its global security initiative on both cases. Uh, on the uh, Ukraine conflict, uh, China has provided its own peace proposal. And yet, uh, so far, I think both sides, and particularly on the Ukraine side, uh, with the supply of weaponry from the United States, they, can, they try to continue to fight. And on the uh, you know, Israeli issue of the conflict uh, between Israel and Hamas, uh, China is on the side of peace as well. Uh, and uh, you know, in the uh, UN Security Council, there, there has been multiple uh, mutual sort of uh, declining to accept any proposal from each side because they cannot agree on the wording uh, how to deal with the current situation uh, involving, for instance, a humanitarian ceasefire and Israel's self-defense right. 
but I think you know moving forward, this humanitarian crisis is developing into an unacceptable level, and we need to do something about it. So I think it's not the right time for the U.S. to press China to do to like influence Iran or whatever. That's not the point. The point is that um, all sides needs to. Uh, uh, have an acceptable United Nations uh, Security Council resolution uh, to call on both sides to immediately have a ceasefire and save the people in Gaza. And the following things can have a political uh, settlement, like releasing uh, the hostages and try to find a peaceful solution, particularly follow the two-state solution, uh, moving forward to, to make sure that in the future this, this kind of things does not happen again. So again, I think, uh, uh, as uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi has said, China is on, on the right side of, of history. And uh, I think uh, in the future, uh, history will prove that China's position is the only viable po position uh, in, in terms of uh, having peace globally. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Laris, uh, you know, I think you know, we touched the point, uh, say, the Middle East uh, the situation there and the Ukraine. And of course, if you include in climate change, you know, transnational uh, border uh, crimes, for example, there's a lot for China and the U.S. to cooperate, to work together. Uh, you know, you can see common challenges or common interests uh, in that uh, direction. But at the same time, we do see there's, um, you know, some people say the structural issue uh, or geopolitical uh, competition issue for the U.S. You know, from the Chinese perspective, the U.S. is basically trying to slow down the Chinese innovation, the Chinese tech development. Uh, is there any compromise we can do in that respect? Both sides have to accept that they are rivals and will continue to be rivals and ge geopolitical and also trade and technology competitors. And that in the end needs to be accepted. So when there are trade restrictions on semiconductors, on high-tech semiconductors going from the United States to China are imposed, that is from an American point of view totally understandable because why should the United States help China to develop its military? From an American and from a Western point of view, China has become an assertive, if not aggressive, power in the South China Sea. Only think of the clashes between the Philippine Navy and uh, the Chinese Coast Guard. Also, China has said that it may take Taiwan by force. To, in American ears, this is terrible and should not stand. And to help China to develop its military with high-tech semiconductors to achieve these aims is uh, counterproductive from an American point of view. And this explains why there are restrictions on high-tech uh, technology goods going to China. But that doesn't mean that the United States doesn't want to trade with China or doesn't want to have a good economic and financial relationship with China in other areas. There are so many products both uh, countries exchange with each other and they trade with each other, pharmaceutical goods, textiles of course, uh, the, the car industry and so on and so on. And in all these areas trade can flourish pretty easily. Uh, there are concerns that there are restrictions on Western companies imposed by China in the domestic Chinese market and that needs to be talked about and I think Wang Yi's uh, visit to, uh, 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 to, to Washington will contribute to that, to resolve these issues uh, which can be resolved. And of course, if I may say that about the geopolitical situation in, um, in the Middle East, it is of course the point uh, to, uh, for the United States and China to work together to 
prevent the conflict from escalating. And China can impose pressure on Iran to prevent that conflict from escalating. And from again, from a Western point of view, it is very frustrating that China has not condemned Hamas' attack on Israel. China has not condemned uh, the aggressive Russian war against Ukraine. So it has not come down against the aggressor in both sides. And this is, from a Western point of view, very frustrating and cannot really be understood. And here is a lot of room for uh, improvement, how both sides can work together and overcome very terrible, very difficult international situation uh, together and in a constructive and peaceful way. And if I may finish with that, uh, the United States and China can actually work together. For example, in April, the, uh, China, uh, the United States helped China to uh, uh, make sure that Chinese diplomats could, uh, could escape from Sudan. The Chinese Foreign uh, Ministry asked uh, the United States to help, and the U.S. State Department helped to get Chinese diplomats out of that war zone in Sudan in April. So both sides can work together if they want to work together and if they uh, get their act together. There is room for, for improvement here, a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Jai, you want to respond? Well. Uh, basically, <laughs> Professor Laros um, uh, gave, gave a summary of this, the good old saying, trading with the enemy. So that line of argument, uh, justifying restrictions or various curves or uh, on the basis of national security, you may as well, any party can make that argument. Sure, you imagine a situation that China made the same argument and start talking about religion to the United States on um, any of those issues. Why should China be uh, contributing to the growth of American military power, which, like Zhao Hai said, shows up on China's doorstep every day? Because the distinction between uh, civilian and military in technology or in other is really difficult to draw. That's, you know, as simple as this. A soldier is a human. A human drinks water. Now, water that goes into a, uh, you know, a civilian person and water goes into a soldier's mouth that goes to open the fire, it's the same water. So I don't really think, frankly speaking, that argument of national security or not contributing to the Chinese uh, the strengthening of Chinese military capacity really has, a, I, I don't know, I, I think it uh, has its own persuasiveness to some Ameri in America, but you try that on a third party, or you try that on some other Chinese. Now, that goes, to, on the other hand, uh, the competition is a natural phenomenon, uh, you know, even among siblings in the same family or among uh, uh, the uh, peers in the, at a workplace. What we should really have is some more sensible boundaries. Going back to the, uh, the basics, in other words, um, for for instance, when you talk about semiconductors or even AI, they're not just they don't just go to weapons. You know, I one time had a surgery on my on my left eye. And my doctor told me there was, a, you know, semiconductors with AI that could perform better. And when you start to say, mm, okay, 
these, these technologies are so military, but then what about a spillover effect on the rest of the society? You know, in terms of applications to medical um, uh, and other, many other applications. And this, this is whereby the reference in the, uh, out of the United States, earlier Zhao Hai talked about uh, what's in the yard, right? How high the fence, reference to biotechnology. Biotechnology is so broad. It can be, you know, technology used to uh, alter genetic elements of seeds. Why you do that? Because you want to produce more climate-resistant seeds. That's better food, right? Biotechnology gets used in medicine. Uh, certainly, you know, you, people can uh, take from there and say, well, medicine can be weaponized as well. So it, it's really a a should I say a challenge here? I, I don't know how much more of these sort of arguments. Um, what I just said, that the China might as well make the same argument on the U.S. or on anyone else. Should everyone in the world start to adopt that so-called security-driven or military-driven? Um, I don't really think that uh, takes conversations much of anywhere. So what we really have to differentiate here is whether or not so-called competitiveness, you know, is uh, actually uh, the real factor, the real issue here, uh, rather than national security, rather than military uh, capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, Zhao Hai, you know, coming back to, again, to the uh, China-U.S. relationship here, uh, you know, as we say, people would say this is a contradiction between a rising power and established power, meaning the United States, which would not like to see um, to be surpassed by a new power. People say that's a key problem between, uh, in terms of the relationship between the two sides. Uh, what's your response? You know, is that the key issue? And um, how should China respond to the, you know, anxiety or concerns of, from Washington? Some people definitely have that kind of concern. Well, it's interesting because in Washington, there are two arguments coming out right now. The, the, your argument is so postier because uh, back then, the, the U.S. still worried about China's catching up and uh, threaten its uh, dominance. However, now uh, in Washington, the new argument is that uh, China's economy is peaked and the United States is not declining. And therefore, um, you know, if that's, the, if that's true, then where is the conflict? And now they have created a new narrative that somehow China's decline or uh, the reduce of growth rates is going to make China more dangerous because now China uh, wanted to uh, use this as you know use external uh, problem as as an excuse to uh, move is you know blame others for its domestic problems. So no matter what uh, China's uh, speed or China's uh, uh, development is good or bad, there's always an argument from the U.S. about its national security. Uh, that's what I call a preemptive perception because that means that the U.S. is presuming that uh, no matter what, China is a threat. And uh, if you examine, I mean, those arguments cannot withstand uh, a scrutinize, uh, scrutinization. And, uh, you know, if you closely examine their argument, uh, there's no real logic uh, linking between their policy and their policy aims. For instance, like just to the case of chips, uh, the chips that the U.S. is banning uh, exporting to China is actually used in our cell phones, and I don't know how cell phones can be used militarily. And we all know that uh, you know Russians, even though the U.S. has imposed 
on them sanctions uh, for many years, and particularly severely last year, the, uh, the Russians can still produce multiple uh, advanced weaponry. So I, I think uh, China also under this kind of sanctions for decades, uh, all of China's military companies are uh, under sanction, and that does not prevent China from achieving more modernization of, of its military. So going forward, I think it's very clear to make sure that these uh, kind of policies not actually uh, promoting American industrial policy uh, and supporting American competitive in the market to achieve unfair uh, advantages. And uh, that's interesting because the U.S. is continually charging or uh, accusing China of uh, not having a, a level playing field with the U.S. companies. So I think both sides need to talk with each other and, uh, you know, uh, uh, show their complaints, their uh, dissatisfactions of market environment so that they can have agreement to reduce barriers on both sides and make sure that the two largest economies in the world uh, continue to be uh, free and open uh, for business. And in the future, I think that will uh, proven to be a, a vital factor for maintaining uh, bilateral and multilateral peace in this world and mm -hmm. not having more and more conflicts like, like what we see today. Well, common prosperity, or at least, uh, you know, they do agree to talk to each other. That's, uh, I guess, people would say positive uh, uh, going into the future. Well, with that, we uh, come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qinduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. <laughs>